Hello and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and the Multicultural Mess. Thank you very much for joining me again today. I am honored by your presence and I really appreciate your time. Um, we are talking about something very important and um, this is for history uh, that we may rewrite what wrongs have been done to the Indian subcontinent and the lies that have been told in our name and in the name of our ancestors and uh, we shall reconstruct the Indian subcontinent one more time. So um, let's go straight to it. We are talking about the Taj Mahal. We had two episodes talking about uh, the context of Shah Jahan, who he was, uh, descended from the Mughal, for the so, Turkish Turgo-Mongol tribes of Central Asia. How he uh, was part of the Mughal Empire on the Indian subcontinent, and his cousins at the same time were the Ottoman rulers in in Anatolia. Uh, they were rivaling each other, and how they influenced each other. Um, and on top of that, then each one decided to have a wife, a couple of wives. Um, each one apparently had a wife who they loved very much, more than the other concubines, because there were many concubines. And when each one of their wives died, they built this mausoleum. All of a sudden, they, they choose to build a mausoleum. The people are dying, no food, uh, slaves, but they're building a mausoleum for their wives. Well, it was its time. We talked about how there was, we have no... Um, idea of how long it took because there are different um, different dates given and there is no real chronicle date for the completion for the start uh, whether it was built whether um, the original um, monument was brought down how long it took and who's the architect one thing we know is that the land was bought with the mausoleum on it that means the manzil as it's called in Hind in in urdu on it there was already a manzil already a, a, a palace on it and it was given to or given or or given to or sold to uh emperor sajahan by a hindu king and sajahan gave another mausoleum in return to the Hindu king. Um, so that is a, a given, a fact, and we have proof of that in Sajahan's chronicles. The rest is all very uh, unclear. Uh, there is no real uh, capture of the dates, uh, architecture, uh, architect uh, for this monument. So let's go to the cost. We'll start today's chapter with the cost. How much did it cost? Okay, to build the Taj Mahal. So regarding the cost, three of the official chroniclers give different estimates for how much, it, uh, what the price was. So Kazemi gives an estimate of 20 lakhs rupees. Uh, that's one lakh is 100,000 rupees. So 20 lakhs, 20, 100,000, which is 200,000 in American um, um, uh, numericals. Um, Lahori says 40 lakhs, that's 400,000. Sally says 50 lakhs, which is 500,000. Um, what was so difficult uh, was the chronicles to state the cost of the construction. So what was so difficult for the chronicles to give the exact cost? I mean, we know how much it cost, if they knew how much it cost, if they built it, did they not, um, did they not know? You know, they didn't have uh, 200 buildings that they were building. So did Sajahan not verify this himself? 
at almost the same time, Emperor Sajahan undertook the construction of the fortress Sajahanabad at the cost of 60 lakhs rupees. It's very rare for an emperor to put down so much money for architectural purposes. That is humongous considering that the military operations or defense took most and the major part of a ruler's budget even 400 years ago. Very much like it does today. Did he really build that one too? So where does all the above information leave us? The same place we started, nowhere. They are, these are besides other details that do not fit this description of the Taj Mahal. So all the chronicles say that the Taj uh, is a marble monument, but it's not. The Taj is a red sandstone monument. If you get a chance to see an aerial view, you will see that all the surrounding monuments are made up of red sandstone. Even the roof of the Taj is made of red sandstone. Uh, no different than Sajahan's great-grandfather's tomb, Humayun Makbara, okay, also in Delhi. The original emperor who built this tomb probably built it, is, it as a sandstone monument. Then another emperor later, in a later era, would have added a marble um, layer on the top of the sandstone, like casing stones on, on the Pyramid of Giza. Nowhere in, nowhere in the Chronicles does Sajahan talk about acquiring sandstone as raw material. Neither would he have put the marble on it. Even adding the marble takes time. It would not have been ready for calligraphy in 1636 AD. Besides, the marble is, has, is loaded with Hindu designs. All around the topmost exterior balcony, the rim of the Taj, there are designs of snakes with facing each other. Islam does not allow animals as part of their art and architecture, especially on architecture to do with religion or deen, as they call it. Um, another point, two buildings on either side of the Taj were built on the east as a mosque and on the west as guest quarters for official, as per official chronicles. Why are there minarets on the mausoleum and not on the mosque? The chronicles mention that one of the, on the west as having been used as guest quarters, it does not make sense. There is a mausoleum on the site and you want to have a guest and you want to have guest quarters. So there's dead bodies there, it's a cremation, it's a cemetery, and then you have guest quarters. The Agra is very close, the Agra fort is very close, two kilometers. Why not give the fortress instead of as a place to stay for visiting uh, guests? The modern Islamic establishment says the monument to the west of the Taj is a music hall contradicting the official chronicles, which say it's a guest house. One does not need a music hall near a gravesite either. Um, now, the story does not match the monument, okay? Only Vedic monuments have music halls, as Vedic mantras are sung at the break of dawn and sunset to pay homage to the sun or align with the change of dawn to dusk. Uh, and the dust to dawn, considered the electromagnetic equator of the planet. On the left of the Taj, the monument is a hall called for sunrise, and to the west of the main mausoleum, um, the monument is to sing mantras for sunset. The Taj does not face Mecca also. Okay, it w if it was, um, it would it would be it was built on a north-south axis. Uh, so, are you telling me that they did not know the astronomical directions after building the, a monument like the Taj? 
I mean, it's come on. This is 1636, a thousand years after Mecca, uh, after Prophet Muhammad passed away. Uh, so how did they not align it to Mecca? The real entrance of the mausoleum was to the north, where royalty came by boat. It was not the south as the modern-day entrance. The royals arrived at Taj by boat on the Yamuna River. The emperor and his wife have two sets of graves each, a set of Sentapa on the main floor, which in reality is the fourth floor, as the Taj is a seven-story building. There exists a second set of graves in a room in the basement, or maybe the second or third floor. When I visited the Taj in the 80s, I think it was the only thing about the monument that struck me. Why would someone want two sets of graves? Now we're in the, in the Islamic world, at least as I know of, has monuments with two sets of graves being found. Back in the day, they let you go down to the second set of graves. Okay, Today, they have sealed it off. It's a dingy room, and if I recall correctly, there were no windows. The room was smelling of urine, so we could not even stay there long enough. Typical, you know, Indians, we pee everywhere. The room was smelling, the, there was nothing special about the graves. An important note over here is that if you want to bury the dead body in the ground, then you have to go right to the dirt. That means below the basement, as there was underground rooms too. The floor of the second set of graves was not a real basement. There was definitely something below. So two sets of fake graves. One of the centipers for the visitors on the top floor and the other below in the dingy room. Uh, remember the Taj is built on stilts as a foundation. And on the top of the foundation is a slab on which I have... Um, which you have one or two-story sandsto sandstone platform, one on top of which is one or two marble story, one or two-story marble platform, on top of which you have a mausoleum. So burying anything in the ground would mean breaking the slab built on the foundation, of course, unless the royal couple is not buried in the ground but in the crypt itself. Then there's something else. If there are two sets of fake graves, it could explain why Saad Jahan did not accompany his wife's body from Buranpur, uh, where she died and was temporarily buried for six months after her death. Her body was brought to Agra and accompanied by Prince Sultan Shah Shuha Badur um, and his wife, wife's lady-in-waiting Rabia Sati Khaman. Now, a body could take anywhere up to 12 months to decompose, more or less, depending on the environmental conditions. There's no fixed date or time. How did Sajahan unearth a semi-decomposed body and bury it after six months? What was his hurry? Why did he not wait? What exactly did he bring, the original, bring from the original resting place in Buranpur? If he brought anything to the mausoleum in six months, then it means the mansion was already standing there. That's another point. Here is one more. The main floor, as mentioned earlier, houses two centipers. Okay, imitation empty tombs for public viewing. That of Shah Jahan and his wife Mamtas Mahal. Uh, take a closer look, and you will see the grave of Mamtas Mahal. It is in the dead center of the chamber of the ornate decor work. However, the centiper um, or cenotaph. Whatever, however you want to pronounce it, of the Emperor Sajahan spoils the symmetry of the main floor. It is built on existing symmetrical design of Mumtaz Mahal's grave. In the west of the center 
resting place of Mumtaz Mahal. Um, so did the architects not know that the emperor was going to die one day? Given that this is an imitation grave only, the real one being the floors below. Why did they not take their time to in reworking the artistic design of the emperor's tomb uh, stone, or at least not interfere with that of his queen? As a preference, the kings and queens are buried together. Either they were in their own world, or this mausoleum was already standing and the Mughals had to do their work with what they were given. Now, if you take a look at the Gwalior Throat in uh, Rajasthan, it was built in 6 AD. Layers were added bound by successive empires and their rulers. The present outer structure located at the northeast end of the fort or Man Mandir Palace was built in 1486 and, and 1516 by a Tomar ruler, Raja Man Singh Tomar. Once inside the royal audience, you will see a gallery where the women would sit on top of the gallery and the kings would be below. The railing of that gallery closely matches the railing of the center of Emperor Sajahan and Queen Mumtaz Mahal too. Uh, this is very clearly, in my opinion, Hindic art. Um, the Amber Fort architecture built prior to the Taj was owned by the family of Raja Jai Singh who owned the Taj Mahal. Both these monuments share the same style of architecture. The architecture of the Taj is very clearly Rajput, mixed with previous Hindic architecture of Rajput kings and descendants of the Gupta Empire. The railing around the royal centipers on the main floor have a decorative pattern, pattern which in Vedic liturgy or a Hindu ritual is called Kalash or Kalasha. It resembles a metal pot usually made of copper and a flat round base. Uh, it's always kept at the Vedic ritual altar. It is a symbol of abundance and prosperity. There are 108 of these decorative pots in on the railing. Uh, the number 108 is very significant in Vedic sciences. One of the most important significance among any others is that our bodies uh, have 72 nadis or pathways or channels of energy and 114 chakras, out of which two nadis are out of our body and four we cannot control. Hence, we are left with 108. Knowing about these channels of energy and pathways, Nadi's chakras in distribution, its distribution, balance and flows leads to a balance in the human being, which would lead to peace and prosperity. Uh, in accordance with official government literature, the Taj was completed in 1653 AD. Why did Prince Aranzib then order repairs on the dome in 1652 AD? If the Taj was not yet completed, then he, would, he could just have mentioned the same to the superintendents managing the construction. This is besides the fact the superintendent would have noticed right away. So, but no, he had to tell his father because there were no superintendents over there. The building was already made. Take a look at the Arabic calligraphy on the Taj Mahal. Now, this is very important for you. Very, very important. Okay, this is the most important part in the whole lecture. It is aggressive, corrosive, and to a degree insulting compared to the artwork, artistic work of the flora and Hindic designs on the, on the Taj. So, 
on the entrance of the Taj Mahal and the gates, you see Arabic calligraphy from the from the Quran. It's very aggressive. It's in dark black. It's sorry, it's in black. It's very aggressive compared to the artwork on the Taj. It's a corrosive. It's harsh and very insulting. Now take a look at the Ottoman calligraphy. It's the same aggressive calligraphy. Okay, very deep, corrosive, insulting. It's it, it's it's very corrosive to the eyes. Both the Ottomans and the Mughals were Central Asian cousins. Their only heritage was a spiral of thousands of years of violent vendettas. Okay, their art and literature was an expression and a seismometer of their violent energy. So, who you are on the inside will transfer to who you are on the outside. Okay, your outside, your writings, your way of life will mimic who you are on the inside because we're an energy field. Okay, the energy field is like currents and waves. The currents you you see what you see on the outside is the waves. What you see inside is the currents. So, the currents are twisted and turning and turbulent and tormented. Then you'll have tormented art, tormented architecture. Your life on the outside will be very violent. So, um. The art and literature of the of the Quran of or the Quranic verses on the Taj uh, is is a seismometer of their violent energy. Sajahan, who seemed to want to outdo his cousins, would have no problem replicating their art with a higher degree of supremacist zeal. Now, take a look at the earlier Qurans. Okay, so we've taken a look at the writings on on the Quranic um, on the Taj. Um, it, it matches Ottoman uh, and, and Mughal writing, calligraphy, and their trauma. Um, but if you go back into Google and type Kufic script, Quranic Kufic script, that's K-U-F-I-C, an Arabic script prevalent in the 5th and 6th century and before. It's simple, it's peaceful, it's serene, it's sublime, and more than pleasant to the eyes. It's Beautiful. The Quranic script of the Quran, the sorry, the Kufic script of the Quran is, is is incredibly beautiful. Okay, you may not understand the Quran, you may not understand the verses, but it's gorgeous. Uh, it's simple, peaceful, serene, sublime, and beautiful. If this script was used as calligraphy on the Taj mausoleum, inlaid with semi-precious stones, you would probably be looking at an artistic paradise. It would have been very difficult to differentiate the two since the two styles come from the same region and from the same era. The Kufic script gives you a time frame which to me matches the time frame of the Vedic Hindu art on the Taj Mahal. So was the Taj Mahal built in the 17th century or the 4th, 5th century? For sure the two Turco Mughal Arabic uh, for sure sorry the Turco Mughal Arabic used does not match the Hindu art. There are two uh, complete opposites showing two different eras. It was almost probably used to portray a holier-than-thou uh, image of the up to upstage the Central Asian Ottoman rivals. So you can see very clearly that the art, the suras written in in Mughal uh, um, Mughal art by during written during the Mughal time does not match the artwork on the um, from the Hindu Vedic art. So they're two different eras. This era matches, the Hindu artwork matches, comes more than likely from the 4th or 5th century. And the Mughal artwork is from the 16th, 17th century. So they're two different centuries by the handwriting, by the art, 
by the space between the the, uh, the artwork, the flowers, the flora, the fauna, uh, you can tell that it does not match the Arabic surahs uh, inscribed on the Taj Mahal. Now, that's another point. We'll go to the next point. The Taj Mahal is said to have 22 rooms below the main floor, possibly more. The government denies this. No one can verify this at this present time. The floral designs of the Taj show Vedic Om symbols repeatedly. The phonetic components of Om are an algorithmic frequency that is used when chanting mantras for meditation to balance the electromagnetic field. The structure west of the main mausoleum is supposedly a mosque, but as mentioned previously, it has no minarets. Uh, the minarets are on the main monument, which does not make any sense. A minaret is always normally attached to a mosque. Besides, it's 43.2 meters tall. Uh, shouting from a minaret so high, no one could hear the Muzain on the ground. Imagine how he would have had to climb to the top five times a day. The word minaret comes from Arabic word manara meaning lighthouse. It itself comes from the Arabic word nur, for light. Initially, there were no minarets in Islam, similar to Christianity. After Islam started colonizing the Middle East, a region that was partially under Roman Byzantine rule, they started taking over the monuments. All Roman monuments have lighthouses. They were converted into the, the now famous Islamic minarets, making the ancient Roman lighthouses Islamic, thereby whereby we now have Islamic literature or architecture, sorry. Similarly, on the Indian subcontinent, our ancient literature and architecture was based on astronomical and mathematical sciences. The Mughals did say that rebranding our monuments and called them minarets, where they spiritually enlightened their population. Was it a different type of light on electrical energy that the minarets of the Taj Mahal were supposedly supposed to dispense? We don't know but it was definitely not built by the Mughals. The concept of, of Mahal in Mughal times was considered as a revenue unit. So um, when they use the word Mahal for a uh, palace, for a uh, resting place, for um, a monument, it was given to a, a, a palace which had revenue, which bought in revenue. Okay. So otherwise it would not be given the concept, the name Mahal, because it had different meanings. So the sources of revenue would be ports or markets. Um, and it was not given to any, any mausoleum, any, any Mahal. So if that mausoleum had a way to have commerce around it, then it would be given. If not, there would be no... Mahal or no commerce, no no concept of Mahal given to the Mughal to that monument. So this was probably a market around it, a uh, place of commerce. Now, who would build a market around um, a tomb? You've got a tomb. People come to pray for the dead. Okay, and in those days, you'd build a market around the tomb, and that also a royal tomb because not everyone is allowed to go there. It was a layman's tomb. It's a different question. This is a this is a royal tomb. The real ro tombs of the royal couple lie in a crypt below. Now the crypt of the uh, of Queen Mumtaz Mahal has on each side um, calligraphy 
of 99 names of Allah carved on the marble. To Islam, the 99 names of Allah is an amalgamation of the names taken from different verses of the Quran and Hadith. It was made into philosophy, given to their congregations to repeat over and over. This as to attain more favors from God in the hope of spending the afterlife with him in paradise. But the concept of 99 names is not unique to Islam. Like everything else, it's a tradition that comes from Arabs who inhabited the land before Abrahamic religions came along. Okay, um, this land was part of a Vedic belt. Its science was forgotten over time, and its parables converted to into traditions that made into religious philosophies. Uh, in Vedic knowledge, the ninety-nine names were ninety-nine properties of electrical energy. Okay, so the ninety-nine names we had electrical energy had ninety-nine properties. Okay, and those were inscribed on the sarcophagus below these monuments. These monuments um, were then rebranded by the different empires who came and conquered this land, and they still existed until times of uh, the Islamic invasions. And all the Islamic empires did was convert these, took over these monuments, converted the names, the 99 properties of electrical energies into 99 names of Allah. And this happens in, um, in, in, the, in Taj Mahal. Now, if you want some proof of that, if there are 99 properties, um, properties of electrical energy, if you go to the Artha okay, Artha chapter number one, verse number two, okay, uh, electricity which breaks by the energy of its arms, the 99 cities, destroys the cloud which covers the rays of the sun, the, the source of all energy and power. Here, the verse describes the inherited properties of electrical energy. The arms of electricity refers to the positive and negative currents. The 99 cities refers to the 99 elements. Um, uh, 99 uh, elements so as known as known today to modern scientists. And in Vedic terminology, these essential elements were known as bhogas. So you go to uh, chapter number four, verse number five. Electricity is well mixed up with prana and apna, the two horsepower yoked to power of speech. Electric power has striking power of deadly weapons and in full and is full of brilliance. Um, again, electrical energy is also present in the form of prana and apna with the human body. Uh, prana means breath, and according to tantric yoga, yoga apna is is the prana that exists in the area near the navel. So you see, this all existed in the Vedic hymns uh, and was just taken out of that and, and inscribed onto, it was taken out of that and inscribed on the monuments, Vedic monuments on the continent, and it was rebranded as the 99 names of Allah uh, when this was taken over. You have another chapter, the Rig Veda, uh, 1.168.8, also talking about the electricity. Now, we're going to stop here for today. Uh, I think we've given you a lot of information. Um, I hope you've taken that note. You can re-go, re-listen to this podcast. Uh, these are the many, many, many different uh, reasons and uh, very... Uh, prominent and over-the-top uh, in indictments that this 
monument existed prior to to the Mughal Empire even being born. Uh, these all these points noted above state very clearly that this monument has nothing to do with the Mughals. The most important for me is the handwriting, the artwork, and the handwriting of the of the surahs, the Arabic surahs. The handwriting comes from a different era. It does not match at all the artwork on the on the Taj. The artwork on the Taj is almost a thousand years earlier, and the artwork and the surahs are written in Arabic script that, that come from the Mughal era. So I'm going to stop here today. Uh, we'll carry this on with another chapter tomorrow. I hope you have a great day, and please spread the news. Please uh, uh, promote this broadcast and give it to whoever you'd like to uh, to listen. Um, very important to spread the message and uh, to help rebuild our civilization. Thank you very much and you have yourself a great day.